say is in a crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. It's more to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people try to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've gotta be free the way God made men, and I won't be ruled by the damn UN. Taking your right to self-defense. They say you're safe, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn into guns. Always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free. To today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap. And I am coming to you from lovely, beautiful, historic Roan County, Tennessee. Yes, that's right. We're just a smidge away from Knox County. We just have a like Anderson County in between us kind of deal. Uh, so for those of you that are trying to picture where we're located at, uh, if you're familiar with Knoxville, uh, then just know that we're within a 35-mile uh, drive from the uh, Knoxville city limits. And uh, with that being said, welcome to today's broadcast. Uh, for those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast, just for your frame of reference, time of the live broadcast is January 9th, twenty. 22. We're entering into the second week of the new year, so no more New Year's Fair and music uh, being played in the breaks and uh, in the intros. We're, we're now officially into the hardcore business of the year, and that leaves us with two things that I need to touch on before we get into today's show. First and foremost, I want to send uh, thoughts and prayers to uh, Those families that were affected by the apartment fire in uh, the Bronx, New York, today. Uh, Obviously, uh, at the uh, time before going on air, we uh, knew of 19 dead. 
uh, nine of those being children, uh, better than 40-plus injured, some of them seriously, so the death toll isn't necessarily expected to go up, but we're told that it's certainly a possibility, a high probability, in fact. Now, to me, that sounds like the expectations there, but, you know, uh, conflicting messages, I suppose, in an effort to to offer some level of uh, peace and condolence to those affected. Uh, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully no more. Uh, it would be great, in fact, if we could uh, claim that there had been a miscount in the total number and that there were fewer. But uh, I'm afraid that's simply not going to happen at this point. Uh, the number, uh, with any luck, will stay where it is at rather than get any worse. Uh, also breaking news, just before going on air, uh, we have lost comedian Bob Saget. Uh, best known to most of America for his role as Danny Tanner on Full House and then later on in the Netflix uh, reboot of the series. Well, not really a reboot, uh, an extension, uh, a sequel show called Fuller House, uh, where he well, once again reprised the role of Danny Tanner, who was no longer living in that uh, iconic San Francisco home. Uh, DJ Tanner, his oldest daughter, in fact, was moving in with her family. And uh, if you haven't seen it, if you're a fan of the original show, uh, you'll probably enjoy the nostalgia part of it. Uh, I know it was one of my little guilty pleasures over on Netflix for a while. Uh, the entire series has wrapped up, so at this point you can see it in its entirety if you have not yet. Although, there's a really good chance, given the total number of you folks out there that have Netflix uh, and the total number of you who were Full House fans, that if you were a Full House fan, you probably already watched the show. Uh, but if you haven't, hey, there's a little hidden gem where if you like nostalgia, if you like the show, you would probably end up enjoying this one very much. All right, so at any rate, uh, my first introduction to Bob Saget was... Uh, through Full House. So when I discovered his stand-up routine, uh, I was quite shocked. Uh, <laughs> I'm not entirely certain why, but, you know, you have this image of uh, who an actor is based on the roles you're most familiar with, and then you see something that's completely away from what that character is, and then you're reminded very quickly that, okay, well, this guy was acting. So not only a uh, well-respected comedian, in fact, some folks even call him legendary. Uh, I'm not going to argue that he's not at this point. I just, uh, I don't know if that's a platitude being offered up at the moment due to his passing or if, uh, if there's a lot of folks in the industry that already feel that way. I know there's already been an outpouring from uh, folks that he's worked with and then folks that... Uh, admired him in the uh in the industry of stand-up uh, comedy so at any rate uh, it's a case of somebody who in this this particular instance doesn't doesn't really fit the normal when we lost betty white a lot of us were very angry but betty white was literally a week and a half away from her 100th birthday uh, it was a lot of selfishness on our part to want her to continue to stay here just for us. 
Uh, in Megan's case, though, he's only 65. He was discovered in his hotel room in Orlando. He had uh, been working a show uh, the night before uh, in uh, Jacksonville. And uh, he was just found non-responsive in his room. And as far as the information we have at the moment, uh, police officers say that there are no signs of foul play nor are there any signs of drug use. So the two most common reasons you might think someone only 65 years of age may have passed, especially somebody uh, who was still working in his chosen career, um, both of those are taken off the table. So obviously if something of note pops up, we will continue to follow that story. But at the end of the day, uh, it appears to have just been just been Bob's time and uh, at any rate there's a lot of folks that are going to miss Bob Saget I've got too much stuff to, to cover tonight to uh, to meander about for too long so let's uh, let's go into it I want to start off with the fact that uh, well there are shenanigans once again afoot uh, Democrats are so afraid of the orange man who's bad kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the, the climate arsonist. Uh, yeah, Donald Trump. They're so scared of him that more shenanigans are afoot. And we touched on this briefly earlier today when Ron Edwards was kind enough to have me on his show, the Ron Edwards American Experience as a guest. And uh, uh, we were having a conversation. We kind of touched on some of how demented these folks are when it comes to Donald Trump. And we were talking about the current situation ongoing with Russia, and I'm planning on getting to that later. But to demonstrate to you how much Donald Trump lives rent-free in their mind, right now, at this very moment, as Democrats are facing increasingly bleak projections for the 2022 and the 2024 elections, well, there's a group of Democratic lawmakers that are reportedly plotting to stop Donald Trump from ever holding office again. Now, we've known about the previous plots. That's why they rolled the dice and tried for a second time to get an impeachment, because if he's impeached, he can't come back. That was the main reason they wanted the impeachment. But there's about a dozen Democratic lawmakers that have been quietly speaking about using a constitutional mechanism uh, in order to try to prevent Trump from ever becoming president again. And this is being reported over on the Hill in case you're looking for verification. If you want to do the homework, if you want to do exactly what I tell you at the end of every hour, uh, don't take my word for it. Uh, check it out for yourself. Over at the Hill, this is being reported. Harvard Law School professor Lawrence Tribe a gentleman who just happens to, to lean to the left and happens to be a constitutional scholar, well, he told The Hill that some members of Congress and their staff have quietly sought his advice on how the Constitution itself could be used to try to stop Donald Trump from holding office. Some of the lawmakers just so happen to include Representatives Jerry Nadler and Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, along with a few other folks. Like I said, there's nearly a dozen. The efforts focused on using a provision in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment against the orange man who's bad. And others 
whom they claim participated in the, you guessed it, events of January 6th, 2021. Happy Insurrection Day, everyone. Now, the provision itself reads as the following. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each House, remove such disability, meaning uh, Congress can say, all right, we don't actually think that this should hold you back. But... The default setting is if you've engaged in an insurrection or a rebellion against the United States or against an individual state therein, you're not eligible to hold office. Democrats first floated using the provision against Donald Trump last January before his second impeachment. Turns out that a few of these folks actually have read the Constitution, which then makes it even worse, because now we know it's not just them being ignorant, it's them willfully ignoring the Constitution whenever they violate it at their whims. Now the question is, would this work? I mean, clearly, we've known for some time they want to keep using the language insurrection because they want to make it sound worse than it is. They want to paint this horrific picture in the minds of people who haven't seen the footage. And they want to paint this horrific image in the minds of people who have seen the footage because looking at the footage, you can be convinced that a lot of things very bad happened. Why? Because a lot of things very bad did happen. There is still some open debate as to how many of the folks that actually assaulted police officers were truly conservatives. There's still a lot of conjecture in regards to, and here, let, let me make it official. We're in the, I said here it is. Okay, it's not. Okay, so now we're officially in the conspiracy corner. There's still a lot of people claiming that a lot of the footage of the folks that first got violent, that first attacked police officers, that first tried to force their way into the Capitol, the ones that were baying and howling and demanding the lives of uh, all these uh, members, uh, were actually Antifa plants. Now, I certainly could easily believe that because typically conservatives don't behave this way. Now, we talked about this at the time, so we'll leave that in the conspiracy corner for now, and we will come back to if you take everything at face value. All right, so let's take everything at face value and pretend like uh, these are still uh, Trump supporters, or at the very least people who support the idea that the elections should not have been certified in the states that illegally violated their state laws uh, to to certify these elections because they made uh, changes to their uh, voting laws in their states that 
went in a method that is not meeting the approval of their state constitutions. And I think that is a legitimate legal argument, and that's part of where I still can uh, contend that uh, states like Pennsylvania should not have had their uh, election results considered to be certified. Now, whether you come down on that side of the table or not, I don't care. All right, we'll just move forward. With all that out of the way, at this point, it becomes not a simple question, although I think it's pretty simple. I've been making the case all along. It's like, first of all, the people that actually listened to Trump's speech, to Trump's rally, that were there and attending and heard all of the language, and some of the language, very strong hyperbole from some members. And Donald Trump's call to action was to march over to the Capitol and peacefully let these people know what your feelings were. Now, he used the phrase peacefully, but the timestamp still doesn't match up because people had started to try to break into the Capitol well before anybody that was actually at the Trump rally could have made it over. So these are not the same people. Did Trump incite this riot? Uh, clearly not, but they still want to say he did because he was telling the big lie for months. Uh, these people didn't need to hear from him that day. They already had their marching orders. Well, I'm going to call BS on that as far as trying to establish a Trump-led insurrection. But it doesn't matter what I think in this case. What's going to matter is going to come down to some folks really having to search their souls and decide whether or not they want to adhere to the actual definition of an insurrection or a rebellion and what we saw happen here. So it comes down to the question, will this effort from the Democrats work? I would love to be able to say no, no, it's not going to work. But you see, unfortunately, it's a little more complicated than that. You see, whether or not the Democrats can use Section 3 of the 14th Amendment against Trump to prohibit him from ever holding office again, well, it's kind of a complicated question over which a lot of constitutional scholars, they really kind of disagree now, for example, some experts told The Hill in this report that the mechanism is not self-executing and thus would require Congress to act. Tribe, on the other hand, suggested that Congress would need to establish a neutral fact-finding body to determine whether Trump, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion, as the amendment states, or assign a federal court to establish whether Trump crossed the line. Now, I certainly would hope that this uh, independent fact-finding body, which I'm sure is the way Nancy Pelosi would rather go. I, I'm pretty sure she does not want this going into the courts and letting the court determine that. I think it probably ends up there regardless. But I'm sure she would rather create this neutral fact-finding body. But the problem is, if that's the route they go, uh, obviously she can't have anything to do with it. We saw what she's done for a bipartisan fact-finding commission when it comes to the events of January 6th. Uh, all Democrats except for two never-Trumpers. Woo, no, that's bipartisanship for you. So... 
you've established these. Let's let's pretend for a second. Let's give the benefit of the doubt, and let's pretend for a second that you're able to do one of these two things. Now, the 14th Amendment is one of the Reconstruction Amendments. Uh, that, of course, it was ratified in 1868 as America sought to find unity after the Civil War. As the Washington Post explained, Section 3 was designed to exclude former Confederates from holding federal and state office. The concern at that point in time is that it would, A, send a very bad message uh, to other office holders, and B, uh, there was real concern at that point in time that while the Confederacy had been defeated, it wasn't necessarily dead. I'm sure... Everybody of a certain age out there has heard the phrase, if you happen to be an American, uh, that the South shall rise again. Well, that was born out of this scenario uh, where a lot of Confederates still had hidden gold, which uh, obviously, according to certain shows on the History Channel, folks are still looking for. <laughs> and actually, those shows are correct, but... Uh, the way they're looking for it, I don't think is very well depicted on those shows. Uh, what we have going on is this concern, this fear. So should it even be applicable to, to now? Now, I'm going to tell you every day that the Constitution itself and the first Ten Amendments, often referred to as the Bill of Rights, that should be gospel 100% and should not be messed, toyed, or doctored with. It simply should. We do not need to pass laws to clarify, although they have. I would still uh, state that many of these laws to clarify should be stricken from the books because they don't clarify the original intent. They uh, clarify a new desired intent, which is the opposite of following the Constitution. But it's, that's not their story. So the idea of Section 3 was to keep Confederates from holding office. Now, after Trump was acquitted in his second impeachment trial, you know, back last February, Steve Cohen, a Democrat from my home state of Tennessee, introduced a bill that would allow the U.S. Attorney General to argue before three-judge panel that an officeholder or former officeholder engaged in insurrection or rebellion to thereby disqualify them from holding public office. Now, Cohen's bill... It has not become law. So the statement comes back around to what is the question? Can this work? Can we establish this set? Now, at this particular moment in time, I can't say that I know, nor can I say that I'm, I'm much in the realm of the concerned about it. Because, again, I, I'm trying to use common sense, and here's, I know this is where I go wrong when we're talking about politics in the United States. But when it comes to just the way the Constitution's written, and even the way that this particular section to the 14th Amendment was written, I don't think you can qualify this riot that occurred, this protest that got out of hand, whether it was overwrought emotions on the part of actual Trump supporters or 
if it was the inside actions of overzealous FBI agents that were trying you know, again where I'm I'm throwing out some of the alternative explanations now you can choose to believe whatever you choose to believe at this point uh, I'm not claiming that the FBI was behind this I'm not claiming that Antifa was behind it I'm not claiming that Nancy Pelosi was behind it although there's plenty of things in this timeline and plenty of events that occurred, especially involving the lack of proper security, even after having had the National Guard offered to assist and that being refused by Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I really think that there are some legitimate questions that need to be answered. I want to withhold judgment. I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole of any kind here. I don't want this to end up spinning out of control into the conspiracy corner. I just want to point out to you right now, regardless of what you think happened then, it has got to be difficult at best. Difficult at best to make the statement that Donald Trump actively engaged in a rebellion or an insurrection. Now, every Democrat on the planet wants to believe it. Every Democratic office holder has stuck every uh, every connection they have to this this notion. You know, they've chained themselves to that one star that Donald Trump is an insurrectionist. But I think anybody that's just just intellectually honest had a hard time saying that, yes, Donald Trump engaged in insurrection. Because first and foremost, the people that were there did not engage in an armed insurrection. Although I keep hearing the term armed quite a bit. I would like to remind everybody that the only person that died directly as a result of the occurrence on January 6th was Miss Ashley Babbitt. One of the protesters that got a little out of control who happened to be trying to look through a window when she got shot. A, an Air Force veteran, a person that by all accounts of the people that knew her, a thoughtful and well-meaning patriot who served this country. So where's the armed rebellion? Nobody in the crowd had guns. In fact, the only people that have been accused of having had explosives, those pipe bombs that we still hear occasional reports about, uh, they seem to actually have been, honest-to-goodness, Antifa members. So we're back around to the question of who, why, and why is it that there are these, in fact, these legitimate questions. But the only real question now is, can the Democrats pull this off? If we let them... Well, then I guess that's pretty much on us, isn't it? All right, let's go ahead and take that mid-hour break. You guys don't go anywhere. I will be back right after this. Our Constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people are free. Just a song before I go To whom it may concern When I was a little boy growing up in Cleveland, my dad taught me to respect the police and that the local police were a symbol of stability. Hello, I'm 
Ron Edwards, on today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. In recent weeks, we the people have witnessed the police standing idly by while legions of thugs broke into businesses ranging from high-end department stores in Chicago's Magnificent Mile, New York City's Fifth Avenue, to Rodeo Drive in Los Angeles, and many other locales. On the other hand, police in New York City are operating like United Nations million bullies, dragging non-criminals out of restaurants and arresting them for not taking a jab. Such draconian measures not only stomped upon the unalienable rights of sovereign individuals, but continue to harm small businesses as the government continues to utilize the Corona China virus to disintegrate the middle class with help from the thin blue line, who for the most part is now only a threat to non-threatening law-abiding sovereign citizens. May we the people rise up quickly and stop this madness before it's much too late. I'm Ron Edwards. For constitutional grounds, the coffee you want in your cup, simply go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Hello, this is Dan Perkins for your Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day. What veterans who are homeless or at risk of homelessness should do for help? Veterans who are homeless or at imminent risk of homelessness are strongly encouraged to contact the National Call-In Center for Homeless Veterans at 877-4-AID-VET. That's 877-424-3838 for assistance. If a veteran does not have access to a phone or the Internet, only then are they to visit the closest VA medical center without calling in advance. All veterans should contact their VA medical center before visiting for any reason. These steps are necessary to prevent the spread of COVID-19. So here's your veterans tip of the day. Contact the VA at 877-424-3838 for more information. The VA wants to help. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. Gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. I want to welcome you back to the show. You are indeed listening to Tap Into the Truth. I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap. And we are talking conservative politics in the United States of America. So thank you so very much for uh, being here. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, while we're on the topic of you being here, uh, if you're listening to the uh, to the podcast, you have the great opportunity to sneak on down to the show description and take a look at some of the links that I have posted down there. One of those is the link to a great company called Fire and Flavor. Now, Fire and Flavor has this great uh, mobile grilling capability platform called the... Uh, called the I'm dropping stuff. <laughs> no, it's called the... Uh, the Hero Grilling System. Oh, crap. I just bent the crap out of uh, some of my equipment here from having dropped it. Ah, great. I love uh, doing stuff like All right. So they they have this uh, grilling system. that They've got all kinds of great accessories that go with it. Uh, the bottom line is if you like uh, the flavor of grilled food, especially with some uh, specialty uh, bricks and just some great stuff uh 
you might want to check them out because after all spring will be here before you know it uh, outdoor activities uh, will still be among some of the few we'll be allowed to do under the covid restriction 97.8 whatever comes along next uh, as part of that situation just think about it now here's what i'm going to ask you to do i'm going to ask you to go down to the show description i'm going to ask you to copy that link in its entirety i'm going to ask you to paste that in your web browser and take a peek at what they have to offer they're going to do a much better job of telling you all about them than i can anyway so just hop on over there check them out uh, if you decide to make a purchase hey great uh, i will as an affiliate get a small commission you help to support the show that way that would be fantastic but uh, even if you don't just Going there and visiting will allow them to monitor traffic coming as a result of this show. And that might eventually lead to a sponsorship, uh, even if we uh, uh, don't make a sales direct. So I'm going to ask you to do that for me because, you know, it just it would possibly help the show. That's, I, it is a small favor. Now, if you're listening to terrestrial radio, then maybe what you'll want to do is a little bit later... You know, when you have time and opportunity, uh, visit Tap Into The Truth. That's T-A-P-P, Into The Truth, all one word, tapintothetruth.com, and uh, click on one of the banners for Fire and Flavor. Uh, trust me, if you're looking for a new system that's easy to move around, that's extremely mobile, that you can take anywhere, that doesn't make a big mess, but still gives you big, bold uh, grill flavor while you're out and about, you really can't go wrong with this, folks. Uh, it's, it's a quality stuff. All right, so now let's let's take a peek. What's next on the agenda? Well, guess what, guys? Uh, since one of the radio stations that uh, carries the show, that rebroadcasts it, uh, is the uh, Utah's Talk Authority, KYAH 540 AM, uh, it's interesting because uh, Utah is one of the states involved with this next story. You see, it's not just New York that's prioritizing non-white residents for COVID-19 treatments. Utah and Minnesota are also doing the same thing. Now, you can find this report in the Washington Free Beacon, if you would like to uh, not take my word for it, but check it out for yourself. The scheme didn't start at state-level health departments. It began with the Food and Drug Administration, and that's really the key here, but states are starting to follow suit. In New York, uh, quoting here from the report, in New York, Racial minorities are automatically eligible for scarce COVID-19 therapeutics, regardless of age or underlying conditions. In Utah, Latinx ethnicity counts for more points than congestive heart failure in a patient's COVID-19 risk score. Okay, so to be Latinx, which is a term that the Latin... Hispanic groups in this country absolutely hate. I mean, it is what about 3% of the Hispanic population within this country uh, that, that actually use it. Most of the people that use it are only doing so to appease white liberals. And I heard it pointed out and uh, hadn't really thought about it much before then, but uh, from a Hispanic reporter, uh, they were discussing the fact that this is also, it's hated, and part of the reason why so many uh, Hispanics are starting to openly vote Republican uh, 
Never mind the fact that uh, they are typically a more conservative values for the, their family and their interconnections. But a lot of them are starting, starting to openly vote for Republican because they don't like being called this name. And the reason they don't like it isn't just because it's stupid. It isn't just because it's essentially a way of calling all of the Spanish language racist, which, by the way, guys, it's not. But it's also an open effort to try and create a generational divide uh, amongst Hispanic uh, citizens, well, Hispanic people, regardless of their citizenship status. What they want to do is inflict the minds of the young and convince them that this is a good thing and that all those older folks that get angry when they hear the term, well, uh, that just shows you how out of touch they are and you don't need to be. The exact same thing they've been doing with uh, all of the other kids that are in public schools now. You don't want to be like your uh, parents. You don't want to listen to your, You know more about the world today because of our great education of you than your parents do. You can't listen to your parents. They don't know as much as you do. All of this is the same type of effort to drive a wedge between the the early, the younger generation and the older generations. You know, the ones that actually do still hold those conservative values, those family values. Uh, and uh, most of the Latin communities see this for exactly what it is. So they want to use in Utah the language of Latinx. So Latinx ethnicity counts for more points than congestive heart failure in a patient's COVID-19 risk score. The state's framework for allocating the monoclonal antibodies. Now, over in Minnesota, health officials have devised their own ethnic framework that prioritizes black 18-year-olds over white 64-year-olds, even though the latter is much more high risk of severe disease. Again, you can find all this over in the Free Beacon. Now, racial discrimination stems from, uh, stems from the FDA's guidance when authorizing the monoclonal antibodies and oral antivirals for emergency use. The FDA only authorized these treatments for, quote, high-risk patients and included race as a factor determining someone to be high-risk. Uh, this directly from the Free, Beacon, uh, Free Beacon's report, the FDA fact sheet the only monoclonal antibody effective against the Omicron variant states that race or ethnicity can place an individual patient at high risk for progression to severe COVID-19. Now, the fact sheet for uh, the, uh, the pill, uh, the Pfizer's uh, new antiviral pill, that uses the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's definition of high risk, which states that systemic health and social inequalities have put minorities at increased risk of getting sick and dying from COVID-19. Even though this guidance is non-binding, several states have used them to justify extremely harmful race-based uh, triage. They've used this race-based uh efforts to determine that if you're an 18-year-old healthy Latino 
well, then you should be moved to the front of the line, even though we have this uh, 72-year-old grandma who just so happens to be Caucasian. Sorry, Granny. We know that you're at a much higher risk of facing imminent demise from this, but it's really because of all of the ethnic inequalities in the healthcare system that we've, we've just got to ignore the fact that you actually need this treatment more. Again, non-binding. The guidance is completely non-binding, but a lot of states want to virtue signal. They're using this race-based triage to the detriment of those at the higher risk of actually dying from COVID-19. Minnesota, for example, explicitly cites the FDA as the reason it is discriminating against higher-risk white people in favor of lower-risk minorities. Quote, the FDA has acknowledged that in addition to certain underlying health conditions, race and ethnicity may also place individual patients at high risk for progression to severe COVID-19. Gee, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because they're directly quoting what they got from the FDA. Minnesota's racial triage plan states, quote, the FDA's acknowledgement means that race and ethnicity alone apart from other underlying health conditions, may be considered in determining eligibility, at least for the monoclonal antibodies. Now, Utah, they're justifying their race-based triage in a similar fashion. They're saying that the FDA, quote, specifically states that race and ethnicity may be considered when identifying patients most likely to benefit from this life-saving treatment. Now, in case you didn't know, New York actually kind of kicked this off. New York's race-based triage, they state that the, quote, non-white race or Hispanic slash Latino ethnicity should be considered a risk factor as long-standing systemic health and social inequities have contributed to an increased risk of severe illness and death from COVID-19. Now, I, I have a question. What exactly is the inequity of a larger number of individuals within these ethnic groups choosing not to get a free shot? You know, they, they keep wanting to call this therapeutic a um, a vaccine, right? That's That's what they want to do. And again, not going into the conspiracy corner real quick. And so regardless of how you want to define a vaccine, uh, regardless of how you have to try to change the definition of a word to make it actually fit the definition of a vaccine, regardless of all that, uh, why is it that you seem to think that uh, these people are at a higher risk? Oh, because you think they're not getting the vaccine. Well, at this point, because of Omicron, I don't know that that's much of an argument anymore anyway, but... It does seem odd that this is still going to be your excuse to just tell a bunch of white people, sorry, you can't get a life-saving treatment in the event that you might actually need it. Now, the FDA says race may be considered, but it never said to make race the priority when determining who should get the treatment. 
So laying this all at the feet of the FDA is a little disingenuous at best. Not that we're experiencing anything new when it comes to leftist trying to virtue signal. You give these folks just a little bit of daylight and they're going to run with it. Unsurprisingly, even though men are 60% more likely to die from COVID-19 than women, according to research from the Brookings Institute, sex is not included as a risk factor in the FDA guidance, though Utah does give men an additional point. So, hey, there's that. As the Free Beacon noted in the report, uh, the triage in Minnesota and Utah gives members of the BIPOC community two points when determining risk, whereas uh, comorbidities like hypertension, let's say a hypertension in a patient 55 years or older, well, that's only worth one point. In Utah, congestive heart failure and shortness of breath, well, they only count for one point, while race counts for two. So what are we really discussing here? By Job, I think we've found that unicorn that the left has been looking for for some now, some time now. We have found systemic, actually, honest to goodness, systemic racism. Yeah, I much like the same one other bona fide case of systemic racism that we had previously from back in the 70s. Uh, you know, that uh, little thing that was called affirmative action. Now, I'm not going to rehash the point of whether or not there was an actual need for it in that moment in time and compared to now. Uh, ultimately, I do think that affirmative action went a long way towards helping to normalize uh, a intermingling of the workforce in places where they just weren't going to do that of their own accord. So did it serve a purpose? I suppose so. But was it still racism that was demanded by the system, uh, hence systemic? Yes. Yes, it very much was. But at least in those cases, you were talking about individuals who were losing out on opportunities to participate in athletics and opportunities uh, to be gainfully employed, which, you know, that is a pretty big deal. But that still doesn't necessarily directly equate to potential life and death situations that medical treatment does. If you're still trying to convince me that COVID-19 is the most dangerous thing on the planet, then why are you trying to make race an issue for potential life-saving therapeutics? Why should it be a consideration? Shouldn't comorbidities be the first consideration? Because less face facts without a significant comorbidity, the odds of you dying from COVID-19 are so minuscule, I think you have a much greater statistical possibility of winning the lottery. Of course, you wouldn't believe that based on the coverage, but if you get to the point where you dig into the numbers, suddenly you will know that, yeah, maybe there's some truth to that. Now, if you happen to be somebody that's going to benefit from this, then maybe you don't have a problem with it, but... If you can't recognize the fact that this is state-sponsored 
states being at the state level in this case, state-sponsored racism, actual systemic racism, uh, then I'm going to have to ask you, are you for it or against it? Because you can't keep telling me that you're against systemic racism and be okay with this just because you might be part of the uh, group of people that is going to benefit from it. But uh, then why not? Because a lot of these same people seem to be okay with these STEM majors that are relying on diversity rather than talent to uh, get scholarships and move into STEM fields. University programs across the country that focus on STEM, that's science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, the these universities focus on STEM used to promote the best candidates they used to, regardless of their background. Just who's going to be the best possible uh, person to study in this field and have a great outcome? Who are our scientists, our technologists, our engineers, our mathematicians? They used to look at the backgrounds, but years of activist efforts now appear to have changed all that. So now... Rather than making who's best qualified the primary concern, it's making race more important than talent. Now, the College Fix reported on this one, and they're reporting that the efforts have led to scientists to suggest that the ability to, quote, produce the best science is being damaged. Now, again, these are the same folks that keep telling us to follow the science, follow the science, but now the inequity of science and the racism of mathematics requires that we no longer allow people into the field based solely on their ability to perform and to excel. So, again, I, more. In this case, the system is not state-sponsored. It is university-sponsored, but this is still systemic. This is still the system itself now actively engaging in racism. This is, uh, this is racist both ways, however, because this is also playing into that soft bigotry of low expectations. This is, once again, those white leftists who claim the title of liberal, but they're not liberal by any means because they want to silence everybody. These white leftists who now are saying, well, you know what? You should have the same opportunities to pursue the same classes, whether you really can do it or not, because it's only your color that's holding you back. So rather than open up additional opportunities for people of color, you know, like offering new scholarships or uh, offering more scholarships that are designed to go directly into predominantly uh, schools where people of color happen to attend. Uh, no, no, we're, we're not going to do that. We're just going to lower the standards for you to be part of this. And in the process, we're going to boot out uh, several whites and Asians who are overly qualified. They can, they can pursue it somewhere else. Uh, they can get an a online degree. Uh, that'll be fine. This is where we're at. So why are we so surprised when this happens, you literally have diversity, equity, and inclusion staffs at college campuses uh, contribute to hostility on college campuses uh, directed towards Jewish study, uh, students. How is the irony being lost? Where are the people's use of common sense? And credibility. Well, I can tell you the credibility has been gone for a while now. No big surprise there. 
These people get in front of you and pretend like they're the experts and they know nothing, including the definition of words. For the longest time, I have been saying for some time that, generally speaking, in the federal government, there is no systemic racism because the system has been designed to punish open and overt acts of racism and to try to weed out the the covert actions when it's still clearly racism. But you can't use microaggressions to establish a case because it doesn't make your case because a lot of what is feigned as microaggressions is really nothing more than a misunderstanding or you're in on the parts of the people that are seeing this uh, so-called microaggression or a a bias of their own part to choose to believe something means something other than what it did oh well see now you're just trying to to muddy the waters tim you're trying to make things uh, far more confusing than what it is no no i'm not i'm trying to make a simple point and i'm trying to get you the listener to engage in critical thinking i'm trying to get you to understand that the real racism that has been going on for better than a decade is that soft bigotry of low expectations where you're supposed to not be able, should you be a person of color, to, to get a photo ID, where you're supposed to, should you uh, get out of prison because you've been in prison, uh, that you don't have an option to stay away from uh, convicted felons and and you don't have an option to stay away from criminals in your neighborhoods. There are so many of your kind of person, whatever color you tend to be, uh, roaming around in your old neighborhoods that, uh, you know, they're just, they're just all criminals. So you can't be expected to stay away from criminals at that point. Now, it sounds like it's an effort to, to be more forgiving. But the problem is you're being forgiven under the guise that you're incapable of doing some basic, simple things. Then there's a huge difference between choosing not to and simply being incapable. Now, if you choose not to learn math, that's your choice. Now, depending on whether or not we're talking about basic math or advanced mathematics, uh, please learn some basic math. It's, it's really going to come in handy in a lot of ways. And then if you're going to, I don't know, to follow a career in machining or in engineering of any kind, well, then suddenly maybe you ought to get, maybe you ought to get good at those advanced maths. It will come in handy. But if you're, if you're going to become a barber, perfectly legitimate career choice, I'm not knocking, then the odds of you needing calculus, eh, it's not likely to come up in your career path. Now, you still might need it if you're also a do-it-yourself uh, guy and you're working on some projects for at home, which, guess what? I believe you're perfectly capable of doing. Uh, however, there are a lot of folks that claim the title of liberal that they do not believe you're capable of such a thing. They don't think you're capable of accomplishing anything without them, your white savior, uh, to step up and take care of you. That is literally where they are at. And I don't know why you guys are putting up with it, quite honestly. 
why would you not want to be held to the same standards that everyone else is? Granted, sometimes that means you're going to be the person that misses out on an opportunity. But at least then you know that, first of all, I've got some, some places here, some stuff I need to work on to get better at if I really want to pursue whatever this interest was. doesn't matter if you're talking about getting cut from the basketball team or being cut from the math team. It doesn't matter if you're talking about getting a scholarship uh, based on academic uh, prowess or being denied that scholarship. You'll find out where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are, and that will allow you to do things, two things. It will allow you to start playing to your strengths and start covering your weaknesses. And by cover, I mean if you can tactically find a way that others can't take advantage of it, that's a plus. But also it gives you the opportunity to improve it so it is not a weakness for you anymore. You cover it in either way. Both of them will be very handy for you in this great little thing out there that we call the real world. This wonderful little thing that we call life outside of the metaverse. A place where most of you are still going to have to go at least for another 15 to 20 years. Uh, despite the estimates that uh, some of the folks out there are giving us, I think we're probably still going to have real-world interactions at least that long. After that, all, all bets are off. And that's assuming that there's not some higher power that has a different plan in mind. But, uh, you know, that part I can't tell you about. All right, so it's, uh, it's time to reset the hour uh, because most of the uh, radio stations that rebroadcast this show only do so in one-hour increments. Uh, we will just do a complete reset, uh, reset of the hour. Meaning, for those of you that I'm saying goodbye to right now, the radio audience, I need to tell you a few things first and foremost. I need to tell you, please, please, whatever you do, don't take my word for not one little bit of what I've told you. But please, please don't take their word for it either. Take some time, put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile... Uh, if at all possible, stay safe out there, stay healthy if you can, and, uh, you know, be smart, even if it goes against your nature. If you're listening to the podcast, don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts right after this. She was from a blue state clan, taught to praise the little man. Told that union saved the working class He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees they said their vows and he couldn't say when couldn't say how, couldn't say why, she was different in his eyes. They built careers and had a kid, tried to live like their parents did, 
both their parties tax them close to death They learn to hate the public schools Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw them years ago A happy little cabin in the west They home Broadcast of Tap into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, and I am coming to you from beautiful, historic Roan County, Tennessee. And uh, we got a lot of stuff to get to, so I'm going to skip some of the uh, uh, other quick hitters that ordinarily I would lay out at the top of this second hour. But I am going to tell you that this is indeed the second hour of a broadcast that took place on January the 9th of 2022. And I let you know that because 
a lot of the folks that are listening to this show are hearing it uh, due to rebroadcasts on terrestrial radio stations across the country. And normally, you only get to hear the show one hour at a time. So you get to hear hour number one one day. You'll hear hour number two the next day, unless it falls on a day where I'm not on the next day. Like, say, at KYAH, 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority, where currently I'm on Monday through Fridays uh, during morning drive time. Well, I'm doing enough content that there is always one extra hour, always at least one extra hour of content uh, over in the podcast. So I'd like to take this opportunity to invite you, if you're listening on Terrestrial Radio and you're not getting to hear the full content, to come check out the podcast as well. And you can find the show pretty much wherever you find podcasts at. Uh, You can find us at... uh, uh, Stitcher. You can find us at iHeartRadio and Spotify. Uh, the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, the number one and number two uh, places to hear the show has been at Amazon Music and iTunes. And I haven't been uh, seeing the iTunes crowd up near the top in a while. So uh, first of all, way to go, guys. And uh, I don't think Amazon Music has ever had me uh, been my uh, the number one source for folks for listening uh, before this past week. So, hey, uh, shout out to you guys, too. Uh, keep up the good work. But no matter where you're listening, uh, please, if you're listening to the podcast version, be sure to uh, follow or subscribe based on whatever that button tells you to do, wherever you're at on that platform. Uh, if there are ratings available, uh, I would love a five-star. I'll be okay with a four-star. Anything less than that, uh, fudge a little bit and go on up. It helps the recommendations. It helps the algorithms. It really helps promote the show. Uh, it helps get a larger audience. And really, that's all you can really hope for at this point. Uh, and beyond all that other stuff, uh, just make sure that you're coming around and checking out and hearing the parts that you missed. Because uh, I would hate to think that one of the best hours of the week happened to be uh, one of those hours that gets missed because of scheduling situations. So you guys come on back. But the point of the matter is, and it remains, this is the second hour of a live broadcast. Had a lot of stuff going on, and if you missed the first hour for some reason, please uh, track down the podcast then and give that first hour a uh, listen. It was a pretty good hour. Pretty good hour. I'm not going to spoil much of it, but I am going to pretty well jump right back in here after I do thank once again Ron Edwards for having me on his show, the Ron Edwards American Experience, uh, earlier today uh, where we uh, had a brief conversation uh, always fun being a guest on his show, and I always greatly appreciate his efforts. Now, uh, we covered some important news of the day back in hour one. Some of it was things I hadn't gotten to earlier in the week, and some of it was things that literally had happened on Saturday. Uh, so, oh, and of course, some stuff that happened on Sunday as well, as we made mention of the apartment fire in the Bronx, New York, and we made me- mention of the passing of Bob Saget. Uh, a very brief passage uh, mentioned, and then we moved on. There's still more stuff that happened from this past Friday on that we need to talk about. And again, the reason that I mentioned being on Ron's show earlier is I made a a passing mention to this story uh, in part of the discussion we were having over there, and that is the fact that one of the top Iranian generals has now issued not a threat— 
but an honest-to-goodness warning that revenge for the Soleimani death will happen within the U.S., and no one will forget what we do. Yeah, that's right. We've had a terrorist threat made against us by the top-ranking Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps Brigadier General, uh, the man who replaced Soleimani. We had this threat made while the Biden administration is at present asking uh, the the Iranians, uh, uh, please, sir, may, may we please have some more, trying to get them back onto the table, around the table, the negotiating table, so that we can somehow give them more crap that they did not deserve and should not have ever received. And I'm looking back at Barack Hussein Alu Akbar Obama right now and the palace of cash that we sent. Well, it was their money, Tim. It was held up for a reason. They're paying terrorists to commit terrorist activities, and they're paying terrorists to fight proxy wars for them. And they're still determined to destroy Israel no matter what. The old Iranian deal that Donald John Trump, yes, yes, the orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, that guy, he got us out of the deal. He said, no more. We're not playing the stupid game, and we're not going to continue to aid you and assist you in becoming nuclear. We're no longer going to send you cash so that you can bankroll terrorist activities around the world, some of which is directed specifically at American targets. Now, we're not going to do that anymore. That seems like, to me... The smart thing to do. I'm just saying. But Barack wanted to be in the deal. John Curry wanted to be in the deal. And, of course, Joe Biden having nothing to do but either listen to the AOC Uber Green fanatics, the ridiculous Bernie Sanders economic experts, or... uh, you know, those folks, then he has nothing else to do but to fall back on, well, well, what did we do when I was vice president? And he has to have somebody explain that to him. But yes, we are talking about Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps Brigadier General Ismaili Ga'ani. Ga'ani, I think. I'm probably butchering his name beyond recognition. Uh, so, you know, ordinarily I'll apologize for something like that. But given who this guy is and what he's saying... I'm not going to issue an apology of any kind. Just know, as a dear listener to the show, uh, if you're looking for uh, the guy's name, uh, I'm probably not pronouncing it close enough to help you get the spelling, spell check to help you find it. Anyway, he is the commander of Iran's elite quad force. He threatened this past week that the revenge Iran will seek for the death of Qasem Soleimani you know, the former commander of the IRGC's Quads forces. Well, that will happen within the United States. The general said, quote, We will prepare ground for the hard revenge against the U.S. from within their homes, as we do not need to be present as supervisors everywhere. Wherever is necessary We take revenge against Americans by the help of people on their side and within their own homes without our presence. Uh, Translation, first of all, translating the statement into English 
was lacking some interpretation. Basically, he's saying they don't have to send military there. They don't have to send drones here. That they've got people here that will do this. People that are already living as Americans, or at least in American uh, communities. When he says people on our side, he means that there's people that are here pretending to have left Iran under the auspice of being refugees. He's saying that there are people here with homes in America that will carry out sleeper cells. A terrorist attack is what he is saying. Now, Al Monitor reported the following, quoting here, speaking at an event commemorating the two-year anniversary of Soleimani's assassination on January 3rd of 2020 by a U.S. drone strike ordered by former President Donald J. Trump. The general said, quote, we will get revenge that you will not forget for the rest of your life. Talking about Trump and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who advocated for the strike behind the scenes, the general said all of the crimes, no, I'm sorry, all of the criminals who are on the scene from the criminal U.S. president to all of those behind the crime of the assassination of Soleimani are under our magnifying glass. The general then also added, we do not have the style of U.S. criminals with divine power. We have our own style of revenge. Now, of course, the news of this little threat, it comes while the Biden administration is desperately trying to get Iran to re-enter uh, the auspices of the 2015 nuclear deal. Which, of course, critics like myself argue would not stop Iran from being able to obtain a nuclear weapon. In fact, I have said on multiple occasions that it basically guarantees that they will. Now, while the Biden administration tries to get a deal completed, a spokesperson for Iran's military stated in late November that they will not give up their pursuit of wiping Israel off the face of the earth. Gee, where have you heard that before? Oh, yeah, almost every conservative commentator that I know has given that warning. I've given it several times because, again, the folks that are running the show over in Iran are religious extremists who believe in the 12th Imam, who believe it is their destiny to destroy the little Satan and the big Satan. It is their destiny to bring forth the 12th Imam, to have him step up by nuclear fire cleansing against the little Satan and the big Satan. And boys and girls, in case you still have any questions or maybe you just don't know for some reason, when they say the little Satan and the big Satan, they're talking about Israel and they're talking about the United States. That's what they're talking about. We must be destroyed in order for them to fulfill their religious prophecy that they believe it's their job, their responsibility to do. Yeah, those are some people we should be making deals with. Here, we'll send you some money that you're secretly going to use to bankroll terrorist activities around the world, targeting Israel, targeting our European allies, targeting us. And, uh, you know, while you're at it, also continuing to work on getting your nuclear weapons program up and running. But all you have to do is tell us that you're just not going to pursue your nuclear weapons program. We've got folks back in November, not that long ago, official spokesperson for Iran's military, no less, saying that they're not 
going to give up their pursuit of wiping Israel off the face of the earth. Believe them when they say this. They mean it. And believe me when I tell you that should the day happen that they actually unload nuclear fire upon Israel, it will not be long before they have other people in their sights. These people are not detoured by the fact that we also have nuclear weapons. In the mindset that they have, that's a feature, not a bug. They want us to attack them. They want us to do the same things because that's the only way they continue to provide the brainwashing for the masses that follow them. And they themselves, having fallen so deeply into this philosophy for world domination that they call a religion, they genuinely, genuinely believe it is their destiny to destroy America as well. This guy, he said, quote, we will not back off from the annihilation of Israel, even one millimeter. We want to destroy Zionism in the world. We will not back off, not attacking Israel, not wiping out Israel, annihilation of Israel. Now, I get that some folks on the left like throwing around scary-sounding words like insurrection when it comes to to actually talking about a, a protest that got a little out of hand. I get that there's some folks on the left that like using big language when it comes to talking about uh, quid pro quo and impeachable offenses and... And I understand that uh, that's part of the whole stick from the left. I get it. We've seen it. We've heard it. We know the song and dance by heart. We know the playbook. They need some new coaches because they need some new plays. But then why, why do they actually need it? They still seem to be winning most of the time, right? But this is not rhetoric in its classic definition. This isn't them just saying something because it's a talking point and they're trying to make uh, the basic message of, well, we really just don't like Israel. That's not the message they're trying to convey here. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't some New Yorker talking big when really they're just trying to make a simple point. This isn't somebody saying, well, maybe we should uh, do this. Uh, no matter how ridiculous whatever this may have sounded, but then they don't actually act on doing this because they have advisors around them that says, uh, I'm sorry, we, we can't do that. No, it's not like any of that. It's not hyperbole. It's not just bluster. It's not just saber-rattling with these folks. They generally want to find a way to make this happen. We will not back off from the annihilation of Israel. Even one millimeter. Now, of course, the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, just this last month, uh, she said that uh, the Democrat president, uh, Joe Biden, a.k.a. Hansy, feely, creepy Uncle Joe, a.k.a. barely there Biden, a.k.a. Beijing Biden, a.k.a. Uh, the P-pads part of Operation P-pads and knee pads um, 
according to, to Jen, Joe was preparing to dealing with Iran's nuclear program in case talks fail with Iran. Well, I'm pretty sure the talks have already failed, Joe. Pretty sure they've already made their intentions clear, Joe. The question now is, are you going to make our intentions clear? What exactly are your intentions? Do you have the same intentions that the rest of America would like for you to have? Iran cannot be permitted to have nuclear weapons at any cost. They simply cannot be because they will use them. There is no deterrence for this current unless there is a complete and total change of who's actually running the country these people will use them and they do not care if any of us will use them back they just don't it's not like trying to deal with china where china would really prefer not to engage in that type of a situation it's not like even dealing with russia who right now russia's running wild china is too by the way but uh, we have this where they're about to, to invade the Ukraine. Well, I was talking earlier uh, with Ron uh, that we kind of barely touched on the topic there as well. And uh, my big concern is, whereas I'm pretty sure barely there, Beijing Biden would do all kinds of contortionist bending and curling and whipping around in order to try and bend over backwards and kiss the backsides of the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party, and to accommodate them any way that he legitimately can, and even in a lot of ways where he uh, le can't legitimately, but will do it anyway because he thinks he won't get caught. I don't know that he has that same luxury with Russia. Granted, the Obama policies that he would very much like to follow through was all about getting Vladimir the reset button, was all about sending uh, uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton over with the world's giant button prop from Staples over there, you know, we're going to push this button and that, that demonstrates our reset of our relations. I'm sure Joe would prefer that. I'm sure Joe would prefer not to get involved with anything militarily, pretty much anywhere other than occasionally uh, shooting some bombs from drones because, hey, uh, they're all comfortable with that. That's not really like even doing military stuff. That's like turning your teenager loose with his Xbox. I mean, there's a little more to it than that, but in the minds of somebody who doesn't know, that's exactly what that is. And who knows how much Joe actually knows from one given second to the next. I mean, sure, he has his moments of clarity, uh, apparently, but uh, they seem to be fleeting. And does he really know what's going on? But my concern here is that uh, that accommodation, that effort, does he have the same ability to just uh, let Russia do something and then back away. Because here's the thing. He, his administration, and several other Democrats at the national level have done such yeoman's work at irrevocably, blah, 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 irrevocably, irrevocably, <laughs> connecting Donald Trump to Vladimir Putin that he almost is obligated out of 
out of just a sense of honoring his commitments to those really squeaky wheels that he's constantly uh, constantly just giving stuff away to. Do you really think there'd be any discussion whatsoever of student loan debt if it wasn't such a major issue for the uh, the squad type Democrats? The justice Democrats, the the really loud, we're actually socialists, not Democrats, but uh, hey, call us what you like. We still want to run the show and want to put our green programs in, even though we know it's going to destroy everything. I mean, he accommodates those folks an awful lot, considering they contribute very little and they really are just kind of loud, but they don't make up that large of a constituency. Very small percentage of the constituency, in fact. Doesn't seem to matter. He gives an awful lot to them. Why? Well, these same people just might expect that he do something about Putin. I mean, he's already let them have the oil pipeline. You know, he was okay with it. He approved it. He let that go. He shut down ours and let them have theirs. Now, if Donald Trump had done that, it would have instantly uh, been read as uh, grounds for impeachment. You've betrayed your oath. You're aiding and abetting a known enemy of the country. I mean, don't forget that Hillary Clinton has spent the last several years uh, bemoaning the fact that uh, it was because of Russia and Putin that uh, she didn't be get to become president. She honestly believes that. I mean, after all, how else does Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton, right? Certainly wouldn't have anything to do with the fact that she was under criminal investigation at the time. Wouldn't have anything to do that she's the second worst candidate ever in the history of presidential races, uh, just slightly behind Kamala Harris. Nah, he couldn't have anything at all to do with any of that. No, no, it was Russia. Russian bots on the internet, that, that's what did it. And uh, that was done in exchange uh, for uh, Trump doing all kinds of uh, nice favors for, for Vladimir. You know, as ridiculous as that sounds to anybody with half a brain, there's a lot of folks that typically vote Democrat that bought into that. And there's a lot of folks within the party, particularly those young and not so bright justice Democrats that are really more playing a role than uh, are actually actively involved as legislators. Uh, a lot of those folks honestly believe that to be the case. I mean, it was also... Using the same logic, it makes me wonder if Sonia Sotomayor's ridiculous stats that she threw out about how many children are on ventilators, how much of that was her trying to intentionally mislead and bully her fellow jurist, or how much of it was her just simply not knowing the actual facts? I mean, there's nothing that makes a Supreme Court justice in particularly any smarter than anyone else. She could be a victim of that uh, political bubble just as much as anybody else that's living in that bubble could be. She could be. Maybe I'm giving her way too much credit here, uh, offering up a benefit of the doubt argument. I probably am. I do tend to believe that she probably does know better and was intentionally trying to bully folks by throwing out a bunch of fake numbers that she knew the media and most of the constituency of said media would never bother to check. Jen actually said, <clears throat> President Biden is committed 
to ensuring Iran never acquires a nuclear weapon and believes diplomacy, in coordination with allies and regional partners, is the best path to achieve the goal. She also claimed, quote, We believe a diplomatic resolution offers the best, the best path to avoiding a nuclear crisis. However, given the ongoing advances in Iran's nuclear program, the president has asked his team to be prepared in the event that diplomacy fails and we must turn to other options. And that requires preparations. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a typo. I think she meant to say Preparation H. We've heard the threats. We've heard the discussion. They're still trying to play nice with Iran. There's no way to play nice with Iran. They still want to play nice with Russia. I think that trying to play nice but trying to talk tough is going to equate to a big heap of mess. I don't believe anything good is going to happen from the current administration on the international stage, no matter what we're talking about. But I can very easily see the United States once again being embarrassed in some fashion, either a lot of big talk about what we're going to do if you invade the Ukraine and then end up with a few sanctions here and there. Do you, do you honestly believe that Russia wouldn't much prefer to have control of the Ukraine and have these sanctions placed on them, knowing that half of the countries that sign on to these sanctions will then be doing business with Russia because they're going to be their best, cheapest source of gasoline. I mean, thanks to the pipeline that Joe approved and let him have it. There you go. I mean, build back better. What he didn't tell you is he's building back better for everybody but the U.S., He's not very well equipped for the international stage. And people that served in the, the Obama administration have said on the record during the campaign, and they've re reiterated it since he's taken office, that when it comes to every major international issue, he has been wrong, he being Joe Biden, has been wrong on every single one of them. I don't see anything going on right now that indicates that his track record is going to get any better. And Barack Obama himself told us, warned us, told us, do not, I repeat, do not underestimate Joe Biden's ability to F everything up. that what we've done? Have we underestimated his ability to F things up? <laughs> kind of feels like maybe somebody did when they voted for him. Because, you know, I, I, I've said several times I do not believe that he got as many votes as they claimed. I do not believe he legitimately won the election. But I do believe that he did receive a significant number of votes. And every one of those people... Uh, deserves to have their voter registration questioned, if not flat out revoked, uh, just because they can't say we didn't warn them that this was exactly what they were going to get. And uh, 
Only citizens are supposed to be allowed to vote in the U.S. elections, uh, not enemies of the state. And if you knew what you were going to get and this is what you voted for anyway, uh, you're not a Democrat. You are an enemy of the state. Uh, let's take that mid-hour break before I get myself into any real trouble here. Uh, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. This is Tim Tapp, host of Tap into the Truth. As we embark upon the new year, it is time to once and for all abandon the leftist, helpless Negro narrative once and for all. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. In the past decades, during the 20th century when black students were often banned from certain schools, it was not because white Democrats did not believe that black Americans were incapable of learning and achieving, it was because they did not want blacks, particularly black men, to learn and succeed. Despite the goal to prevent blacks from achieving, they did, and in constantly growing numbers. So for years, leftist Democrats tried to figure out how another way to block black men from succeeding. So they dummy down the education system and convince blacks that they are nothing more than victims of racism because possibly every single white person isn't walking the earth celebrating our existence. So, to add insult to injury, schools are dropping collegiate academic standards to accommodate blacks who they made sure did not receive a good preparatory education. Time to engage community homeschooling to help overcome the leftist helpless Negro narrative. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com for Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Thank you for your cooperation. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. Uh, obviously, we've still got some Let's Go Brandon going on, although at this point, I'm legitimately saying uh, not F Joe Biden, but let's go, Joe. Uh, I mean, come on, seriously. you got to start working on getting something right. Something. Uh, you know, come on. you got to improve that track record. Uh, you cannot trust Russia to not invade the Ukraine. You cannot trust that Russia is going to be afraid of what you're trying to say in regards to uh, these the ridiculous sanctions that you're going to put in place. Ooh, so very scary. Nobody is afraid 
of the United States under the Joe Biden regime. Nobody. And, you know, while some people say I'd rather be respected than feared, I'd rather be both. I mean, I would love for you to respect me, but we know regimes like Russia, like China, like Iran, like even North Korea, that they're never going to truly respect the United States. They're certainly not going to respect the people of the United States. We are an obstacle. We are a speed bump. We are arrogant capitalists in their way. They don't like the idea of people that talk about freedom and then actually expect to have it. Even though, strangely enough, a lot of our folks are perfectly willing to just hand it off and give it away. They don't like these notions, period. Meanwhile, most Americans just want to get along with the business of living their lives where they don't have to be concerned. They'd love to see prices get back down. And you might just want to, I don't know, uh, go camping sometime this coming spring or summer or uh, go boating or, or do something where a molded, high-quality cooler would come in handy. And if you happen to be in the market for one of these uh, coolers, uh, might I recommend blue coolers? Uh, you will see, if you happen to be listening to the podcast, a link in today's show description. By now, uh, unless this is your first time listening, you probably know the routine. Uh, go check it out for yourself. They're going to be able to tell you a lot of stuff and tell you about themselves way better than I can anyway. So go visit the website. Copy the link in its entirety. Paste it in your web browser. Go visit. Using that link is how they know I sent you. If you decide to make a purchase, uh, if you don't do it then, but you're going to and you go back, please go back and use that same link. That way, again, they still know that I sent you, and uh, they will know that through our affiliate status, I will get a small a little commission for having sent you their way. So then you get to help support the show. You get something that you wanted anyway. You get to help support the show, and you get to go along with your business and eventually start to live life like you want to, even if it's taking, I don't know, the fire and flavor hero grill system we talked about back in the first hour, uh, load it up along with your blue cooler, and uh, head on out into the mountains where uh, the government officials aren't going to follow you and aren't going to uh, give you grief about not wearing a mask while you're in the great outdoors. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but if that's your plan, uh, seriously, uh, follow the link and uh, you know the rest. And even if you don't make a purchase, please use that link to go visit them and check them out anyway. Because as long as I'm continuing to generate traffic to their website, they know it's from this show. And that will give me an in on possibly gaining a sponsorship at some time down the road. And should that happen, this show gets much, much better a lot faster. It really does. So, you know, just it's a small favor. It's a small favor. And uh, you should know by now, uh, but I will say it anyway, just in case this is your first time listening. If you are listening to the radio right now and don't have your phone available or your laptop or whatever electronic device you use to surf the Internet, then at some point later on when it's more convenient, please visit tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P, into the truth, all one word, dot com. And uh, while you're there, you can see some stuff about uh, most recent guests. That hasn't changed much in a while because I haven't been having guests on for a while, so I've left their information up. You can check them out, check out websites and uh, books and things that are related to those folks. Uh, you also can then see these banners along the side, 
for blue coolers, for fire and flavor, for uh, my Patriot Supply, for Hero Soap, for fine tuxedos, for uh, audio books, for everybody that I have an affiliation with, an affiliate relationship with. You can click on those bad boys. It'll take you there. It'll work just the same as if you had... Uh, done the copy and paste thing with the link in the show description. So you don't have to have the show description available. Just come visit Tap Into The Truth. And while you're there, you can check out everything else with Tap Into The Truth, including uh, your favorite way to hear the podcast to get those uh, hours that you may be missing should you be listening via terrestrial radio. And there are hours that you're missing every week. There's at least one hour every week. Some weeks there's more than that. Sometimes I do a lot of bonus content. Not so much here recently, but, uh, you know, anyway. With that being said, let's rewind. We, we currently have important stuff to talk about. We have things that could potentially change the world. We have a, an expected, and I, I had not seen anything come down as of the time before I started recording. Uh, so with a little bit of luck there will be something before I'm done with the show but I just haven't seen it but we're expecting an emergency response from the Supreme Court in regards to Biden's COVID vaccine mandates for employers uh there are two separate cases one for uh, healthcare employers and then one for employees for all employers with more than 100 employees well 100 or more presumably that will be done released before they expect businesses to start conducting business on Monday morning because Monday mornings when most of these were supposed to go into effect. So we'll see what happens there. We've got that going. Very important. Will Liberty pass the smell test with this Supreme Court? Or will they buckle to political pressure? That's the question. We'll have that. It's an important question. We also have important stuff like what's going on with Russia? What's going on with China? What's going on with the financial world? What's going on with the Great Reset? What's going on with everything else COVID-related? All these important things. But we also have situations that we need to point out that involve the culture war because politics is downstream from culture. We've got to save the culture. One of the primary reasons those of us that are conservative have felt like we're losing the culture war, have been losing the culture war, is because we typically haven't really been fighting it. And we certainly haven't had conservative politicians standing up and fighting it. Donald Trump was the first guy in a long time that uh, deigned any level of conservatism whatsoever who was not afraid to take on the culture war head on, to grab the bull by the horns and say, Olay, mother, we're going to do this. Let's dance. Uh, I believe that most Americans believe as I do and that uh, the American culture is worth saving and worth fighting for. We need more of that. Previous to that, fighting for the culture war has fallen into the hands of uh, people like me, somebody sitting behind a microphone or somebody sitting in front of a camera and fighting for conservative values based on trying to explain them and trying to counter arguments from the left when they spout off their ridiculous falsehoods and half-truths and straw-man arguments, which is usually as close to legitimate as they get. It's been up to people like Rush Limbaugh. It's been up to people like Sean Hannity. It's been up to people like Mark Levin. 
It's been up to people like Ron Edwards, Rod Eccles, Ann Ubellis, Don Smith, the underground professor. It's been up to people who have had the nerve to stand up and say, hey, by the way, this is what we're fighting for. This is the value. So while we have to uh, take time away from far more important issues, we do need to take a look at the culture war. We do need to discuss it, and we need to refute it when necessary. We need to utilize it to show the hypocrisy of the left. You know, they claim a lot of hypocrisy on the side of the conservatives. Most conservatives are pretty consistent on these issues. The problem comes from the left utilizing terms like fighting for democracy or supporting voters' rights or fighting for the Constitution, fighting against enemies both foreign and domestic. Uh, They use that language. I heard uh, Representative Claiborne using that language today. And the only thing I can do is scratch my head and say, you keep using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And it's pretty obvious that it's not. It's not. To sit here and claim that I am an enemy of the state, that I am the enemy of this nation uh, that's domestic, is it's preposterous. It's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. My message from the beginning is Constitution, Constitution, Constitution. I believe we need a return to the constitutionally federated republic that we were granted in the first place. I believe we need a return to the Constitution as written and then the first ten amendments often called the Bill of Rights and then everything after that uh, we don't necessarily need. That's not to say that maybe some of them we didn't need at a certain point in time, especially during Reconstruction after the Civil War, or as we call it, these parts the war and northern aggression. But regardless of whether we needed them at the time or whether or not we need them now, the point of the matter is they do not hold the same place as those first ten amendments, and they certainly don't hold the same place as reference should be offered as the original Constitution itself. So obviously, I'm not an enemy of the state. I just want the state to not be an enemy to the people. I want the state to operate within the confines that they were meant to be operating in. And I don't think that that's too much to expect. I don't think that that's too much to ask for. But instead of us talking about that, we need to talk about how uh, a trans man uh, beat a trans woman at an Ivy League women's swim meet this past weekend. And we do kind of need to talk about it. Again, to show the hypocrisy and the ridiculousness of where our culture is currently sitting at. To, To bane the question, do we need to fix our culture? Or... Have we gone so far south that we no longer have a culture that's worth saving? So maybe maybe the republic is so far gone because we don't have the culture. We need to have those discussions, and this is the kind of story that helps us to have that discussion. This past Saturday, yesterday, time of the live broadcast, which again, I'll remind you, was uh, January 9th. So yesterday, two transgendered contestants, one born male claiming to be a female, and the other born female claiming to be male 
competed in an Ivy League swim meet, both in the women's bracket featuring Yale University, Dartmouth College, and the University of Pennsylvania competitors. Now, Leah Thomas, who's made a lot of headlines here recently, we've had those culture war uh, discussions with Leah at, at least two of the last three broadcasts. Now, Leah Thomas was born a male and for three years swam on Penn's men's swim team before transitioning during his, her senior year. Thomas has made headlines repeatedly over the last few months for dominating against female competitors all season long. But at the event this weekend... Thomas received a peculiar upset loss after losing to uh, Zach Hennig, I think. And again, uh, in this case, if I'm butchering your name, I apologize. My East Tennessee tongue doesn't always do the best. Isaac Hennig, I think. Who just so happens to be allowed to swim against women for Yale, despite now claiming to be a man. So... He, she is biologically a female, but is transitioning to become a male, but is still swimming in the women's bracket. Whereas Thomas was born a male, now claims to be female, and is also swimming in the women's bracket. Now, after competing races uh, and completing races for the day, uh, the woman who's now trying to be a man uh, went topless to reveal a chest that has undergone breast removal surgery. Hey, see, I really am a guy. Okay, so according to the Daily Mail, Thomas was crushed twice in a women's swim meet by another transgender competitor who is transitioning from female to male. First, in the 100-yard freestyle where Thomas actually placed fifth, and then again in the 400-yard freestyle relay. According to parents who were present and uh, who asked to remain anonymous, Thomas seemed to be coasting and barely trying while winning the first of four races by just two seconds. The races were close despite the fact that Thomas had been shattering uh, records all season. In fact, Thomas literally shattered two women's records with a 38-second margin against the next closest competitor earlier in the season. The freestyle race was also much closer for the victorious pin swimmer than in the previous races. Accordingly, the girl who's now a guy also finished first in the earlier 500-yard freestyle, beating Thomas by three seconds. After the race, parents witnessed a shirtless version of this swimmer walking around the, the pool deck. Uh, one of these folks, one of the uh, University of Penn parents, told DailyMail.com, quote, I wasn't prepared for that. Everything is messed up. I can't wrap my head around this. The NCAA needs to do something about this. They need to put science into the decisions and discussion. Another parent, perhaps confused by the terminology, uh, said that uh, the girl who's now a guy, quote, a man just crushed the women's team. 
Now, Hennig is allowed to swim against women because the Yale swimmer has not undergone transgender hormone treatment. Uh, and uh, clarification there that uh, the explanation is further done in a 2021 opinion column. Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm now getting lost in the weeds here. Now, evidently, the girl who's now identifying as a guy hasn't undergone a transition other than having breasts removed. You want to tell me that she has not been getting testosterone uh, treatments? I mean, I, I, how, how would she not at this point? By transitioning, I think all they're saying is they haven't done any surgeries to mutilate downstairs yet. They've already mutilated uh, up top. This mutilation to make her her body look like a, a his body is at play here. And they utilize the terminology of transitioning uh, pretty freely. It means whatever they want it to mean in a given moment. So I'm not real sure what exactly they're trying to say here. What are the specifics? What do they really mean when they say she hasn't completely transitioned into he? Now, earlier when I discussed this with Ron, I had not uh, seen much more than a headline, so I had made the assumption that she becoming a he had been taking testosterone treatments and that that would probably uh, explain why she now he was able to beat he now she and uh, the Thomas athlete. Now looking at this, it's very vague. And it sounds as if there's a possibility, maybe not. But the parents have made it clear. Thomas was either under the weather or, or tanking it today. Well, that being Saturday. Wasn't trying very hard. Wasn't giving their best. Had an off day. Was it intentional because Thomas is tired of hearing all the crap? Or was it a genuine moment where just flat out got beat? I mean, coming in fifth in one of these races certainly seems as if maybe maybe Thomas just wasn't feeling particularly well. But the fact that Thomas had been blowing away competitors with as much as a 38-second advantage over the second place finisher <laughs> have you ever excuse my coughing have you ever been in a race and seen it take 38 seconds for second place to to come across the line i mean when you stop and think about how much of a race could that be i mean that was literally require for swimming at this level for thomas to be on his, I'm sorry, her way back to the final uh, final closing of the race while all the other swimmers were still trying to finish getting to that, uh, that board before coming back around to get in their last trip down and back. 38 seconds is a long time in any kind of race. And if you're capable of doing that, I don't suddenly think, believe that the competitors this day just suddenly got that much better. That seems pretty hard to believe. So here's the thing. 
if the NCAA wasn't making such a mess of this, and if the Ivy League schools weren't making such a mess of this, if the political left wasn't making such a mess of this, this wouldn't be a discussion point, and it wouldn't fall into the category of our culture wars. There are some serious questions about the legitimacy of Thomas, how much Thomas really, really thinks that he now wants to be she, uh, really genuinely feels like uh, being a woman is the real answer. Three years, three years swimming on the men's team and never a mention of this. Now, granted, maybe living the lie, living under pressure, staying in the closet, afraid to come forward and uh, the truth about my identity, maybe that played a factor. I mean, it could have. I'm not going to say it didn't. But at the end of the day, biology still doesn't lie. Sometimes our brains do. We know this. It's been proven. Sometimes we think we've seen things that simply did not happen. Sometimes we believe we remember things that it's just not the way it happened. Mandela affect anybody? But regardless of where we're at with that, we know sometimes our brain will lie to us. But biology is pretty well set. XX chromosome, you're female. XY chromosomes, you're male. No matter what level of butchery and savagery and mutilation you do to your body, that doesn't change your chromosomes. It doesn't change your genes. May do some damage to you mentally to go along with the issues that you had to make you feel like you needed to take those steps in the first place. I don't want to speak for anybody who's going through gender dysphoria. I don't. But I do tend to think that we're seeing a lot of people claiming gender dysphoria that don't actually suffer from it. And I think we're seeing a lot of people trend in this direction because they think they can get some type of of an advantage out of it, get some level of sympathy, if nothing else. We need to weed those things out. But this doesn't even become a discussion if there is a separation in athletics. And ultimately, that's what should be happening here. That's what needs to happen because the only people that are truly missing out, the only people who are truly losing out on this are the women who are not at all confused about the fact that they're women. The The most ironic part of this is that this door has been opened because of the actions of the second wave feminists uh, in the 70s and early 80s. Well, actually, uh, in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. Their actions opened this door, and now that door has been busted wide open. And now those folks are being called TERFs, even though they're just simply making the case that uh, they're for women. And men can't suddenly become women just because they say so. Uh, I think science is on their side on this one, and I think that... Athletics is still supposed to be a place where we're supposed to be able to go to to get away from politics. For the love of Pete, please, can we have our sports back with no politics, please? That is my one wish for 2022. Uh, nuclear war? I, I don't. It's it's whatever's going to happen. Uh, the economy being fixed? Not until we get somebody new in the White House. Doesn't matter what midterm elections do. Uh just staying healthy, I'm going to get sick or not get sick based on whatever's going to happen. Uh, sports that can just be sports again, yes, please. 
I know, priorities are a little askew. It's going to have to be it for today, folks. Uh, as always, thank you so very much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, you guys, if you can, stay safe out there. Uh, please do your best to stay healthy out there and uh, be smart, even if it goes against your nature. I'm out.